Happy New Year. Yeah. Some of you are like, I still have a headache. Shut up. It's, uh, hey, uh, hey, listen, I'm losing my voice. And the reason I'm losing my voice is after all these services singing that worship. That was amazing. Will you just give it up for, at all of our campuses for your worship teams? They're just, it's so good. Here's the other part about today, okay? Even if you hate what I have to say, <laughs> some of you are going, yeah, sometimes. Uh, if you'll just la- wait for the last five minutes, whatever, whatever you just experience gets better, if that's even possible. So just, you know, if somebody falls asleep, just wake them up for the last five minutes and, uh, and, and, and so we'll, we'll get into this. So, so we're starting off, a, or kicking off a new series today, which I came up with the clever name of New Day. And I almost, I almost changed the name because it just sounds so cliche right? It's the beginning of the new year. We're going to have a series called New Day. So I almost changed it, but, but that's not just the only reason. The other reason is when, when people like you hear people like me go, it's a new day and a new year and a new whatever, there's part of us and goes, yeah, just like last time. We heard this last January and the January before that. And, and it, what, what happens every year is probably going to happen this year. We're going to start great, but before long, we're going to get back to business as usual. I'm going to do what I've always done. Nothing changes. We've all thought that. We've all you know, done that. We've all felt it. I, me too. All right, so here's my question before you even think about you know, going on with your resolution or anything else. Here's what I wanna to unpack today with you. Is change really possible? All right, and I see heads, at least in this room, going, yes, it is, or someone going, I don't know, all right? So, so, so let's say that you say, yeah, it's possible. Here's the follow-up question of that. What would need to happen in your head, your heart, in your life, whatever? What would need to happen for that change to become a reality in your life, not just a pipe dream? What would need to change uh, or happen so that that could actually become a reality? I want you to hold on to that because I'm gonna come back to it several times throughout, throughout today. Now, as part of my sabbatical, which is the six months that, uh, uh, well, you know. Uh, anyway, so, so I've had a lot of time on my hands. I've literally been in the woods, okay? It's not a metaphor. I've lived in the woods, all right? And so, so while I'm there, I started reading books, Go figure, all right? Real ones with covers, all right? And, and, and not magazines and not pictures. There's nothing wrong with that, though. But, um, but, but one of those books that I, I read was recommended to me uh, by someone. I said, okay, yeah, I'll read it. And it's gonna be here on the screen. And I ha- take, a, take a picture of the screen. Um, it's a book by a guy named Simon Sinek, and it's entitled Start With Why. It's a great book. It's not a Christian book. Jesus isn't even mentioned in it. It's more of a leadership business uh, book. It's a book uh, that kind of unpacks why some organizations from, from Apple uh, to uh, uh, to, to Walmart, to all these big companies that you hear of, why some organizations start and just, they just keep on going. They, they, they do great. And then some organizations start well and then fade fast and then we never hear from them again. Now, here's a, why I bring that up. Uh, the fundamental premise of that book, I think applies perfectly uh, to New Year's resolutions, but more importantly, uh, I think it applies to trying to make changes or failing to make positive lasting changes in our life in the most important parts. So we all wanna make changes in our life, but we have to answer the question, why? Why would I wanna do that? Why would I wanna change that? Why, why is this important? Does what I say that I wanna do and how I plan on you know, doing 2020, does it line up with a, a deeper question? Why, why would I wanna change anything? See, I, I think, and I, I might be wrong, so I'm just, really good, I'm just speaking for myself. I, I think that, that most of those, it's gonna be a new day. It's a new year and you know, new start, whatever. I think they fail mostly because most of the time, in order to make changes in our lives, we start by trying to change the behavior or we try to change our actions or we try to change something on the outside. And that's what and how. But, but we, we, we neglect the, the why. We never you know, go back to what we really believe to be true. What's the why? 
What's the why behind this desire to change? Not simply, should I act different? Yeah, we probably should, there's a long list. But, but why would I wanna do that? See, behavior modification, behavior change always fades unless a new like fundamental truth or belief is like the catalyst that drives that change. That would explain why, I don't mean to be a downer, why most of your resolutions won't make it to February. All right, I mean, that's why diets fail. Because you don't have a compelling why. That, that's why a lot of us are gonna try to break an addiction or get sober or whatever, and we've tried it so many times before, and, and, and it doesn't work because we don't have this compelling why. That's why a lot of us are in really, really hard relationships, you know? And you know, it struck midnight you know, in January, and we went, this year we're really gonna work on our whatever that is. And you know what, it, it didn't work last year either. Why? And I would say it's because we don't have a, a why that's compelling enough to make it worth it, because a lot of work's gonna go into changing that part of our life. And the only thing that, that, that will make change like actually last in our life is if a new truth, or maybe an old forgotten truth, we start believing again, and not just believing it, but embracing it that answers the, yeah, I know why this is really important. And everything that follows after you answer that, why this is so important, like um, I do things differently now, kind of flows out of that. It's like a symptom of an overflow of that, that truth that's both believed and, and embraced. It's that old, if so, then why? If this is true, then this will happen. Uh, if, if, going like this, if, if this thing that I say is true, if I actually believed it and embraced it as if it was really true, it will drive the, the what and how in my life that needs to change. So here's what I wanna do, how I wanna attack this. Over the next three weeks, I wanna kinda of take you on part of my sabbatical journey, and I, I, want to, I wanna unpack for you three, there's probably 50, all right, uh, but three of the, the big rocks, like the, 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 the big truths that God has been teaching me, and I wanna say over the last six months, but really, he's been setting me up for, these, uh, for several years. It just all kinda of came together in this sabbatical. But I gotta be, tell, I gotta be honest with you, um, th these new truths aren't really new truths at all. They're old truths. I just forgot them. And they're new to me because I actually, I actually believe they're true. But I didn't stop there. There's a lot of stuff I believe is true. I'm actually embracing them as the why that's driving changes in my life. Because you, you know this is true. It's possible for us, for us to say stuff like, yeah, I believe that's true, but it's very different to say, I believe it's true and I'm actually going to live my life as if it's true, it's very, very different things, right? If you would've come up to me a year ago and said, hey, hey, Jim, looking down the road, a year from now, you're gonna teach us those three truths. If you would've asked me a year ago, do you think they're true? I would've went, yeah, duh, they're in the Bible, right? And I would've taught you that they are true as well. But if you would've followed me around for several weeks, uh, probably a few hours, you would go, what you say you believe is true and the way you're acting are very, very, very different. Anybody ever been there? Now let me give you a few disclaimers and I'll give you more later, right? Um, while God used a six-month non-optional mandatory sabbatical, I didn't get a vote, just so you know, or, um, to put me on the sidelines to teach me these, these big, big truths as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pop-up, as a, as a pastor and as a leader, I, I was gonna say I have a strong feeling, but I wanna make it deeper than that. I'm convicted. I'm convicted that the truths that he has been teaching me will in some way, if you're willing to lean into these, and I don't care if you're at 12 or 112, if you're willing to lean into these, I believe that these truths will connect to something going on in your life. I'll talk about my family, I bet there's something going on in your family. I'll talk about my job, 
but I bet there's something going on in, in, in your job. Uh, I, I'll talk about some of the people that I've struggled with friendships, but I bet you have some relationships in, in your life. Um, I'll talk a lot about head trash. You know what I'm talking about? Imaginary conversations we have and they spiral us down a, a whole, anybody, am I the only one? We should all be on meds. Anyway, but, um, but here's what I think. If, you'll, if you're honest and you'll lean into them, I think that these truths will give you a good enough why that might, might lead you to, to something that both you and God and the most important people in your life, if you were honest, would all agree something's gotta change. All right, if you're honest. Got it? Okay, here we go. So uh, a couple weeks ago, it was our Christmas service. By the way, favorite Christmas service ever. Uh, the Lyman thing and all that. Guys, thank you for singing along with us. But uh, it's our biggest Christmas ever. We had over 31,000 people find out that God doesn't hate them, which is kind of cool, you know? So anyway, um, so anyway, during that, 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 that Christmas service, I related a story, and this is gonna be a review for a lot of us, but about halfway through my six-month sabbatical, I, I, the bottom fell out. I hit bottom, rock bottom. And, and the metaphor I used to describe my life, and a lot of you have been able to identify with this, is, is this. Um, I feel like my life is a long, dark tunnel, and when I look down the tunnel, all I see is more tunnel. And every time I see a light coming at me, I get some hope, and it ends up being a freight train that runs me over and delivers another load of more things I've done wrong. Anybody else? Yeah, you've been in that tunnel, all right? So, so I, I, told, I, I told my leaders, I showed up at an elders meeting one, one, one night, and I said, hey guys, I gotta be honest with you, I, I don't have any joy left. And I have zero hope that it's ever gonna come about, back, and I'm about done. It's the closest I came to just tapping out. I was exhausted, I was frustrated, I was angry, I was sad, I was really, really dark, dark tunnel. I, I also mentioned a few weeks ago that I'm reading books. I'm like Scott, for those of you. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> some of you don't get that, and that's fine. He's, anyway, so I mentioned a few weeks ago, I was reading a, an old book from 16th century. Uh, it's called Dark Night of the Soul, very happy read, uh, by a man named St. John of the Cross. And the premise of the book, it's true, I just don't like it, all right? And the premise of the book goes like this, whenever God wants to like, take a person to a deeper level, the way he does that most of the time is he strips away everything and anyone that you're holding on to until all you have left is God himself. You know, and that's true, I just hate it. I'll be honest, it's a tough read. I, I, I haven't even made it through the whole book. I've read the first half like three times and then I'm like, nah, too much. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know if I want everything to get stripped away. I don't know if I wanna give up everything, even for God. That's just being honest with this, especially when it comes to this, this felt thing that I've held onto for a long time and it goes like this, I feel like I need to control everything. Anybody else? Yeah, don't point at anybody. <laughs> no, don't, that's not nice, all right. Um, now, before anybody shouts, amen, he does, all right? Or, uh, listen, I've, ne I've never considered, and if you're a staff person, just shut up, all right? Um, uh, I've never considered myself a con control freak or a micromanager. I, I haven't, but, but the brain and, and the mind, the Bible has a, a, a phrase that describes how we're made. The Bible would call us fearfully and wonderfully made, and I agree with that, and that's awesome and not. What do you mean? We're wonderfully made in that our minds have the ability to do and believe and create just amazing things. We're wonderfully made. We're also fearfully made. That same mind, in order to do what it perceives it needs to do in order to survive, comes up with some really jacked up stuff. And inside here, it feels logical and it feels right, but in reality, it's actually broken and untrue but it comes up with that because this is what we do to protect ourselves and to survive. In counseling, and it's a matter of time until <laughs> you're in counseling, if you're paying attention anyway, but uh, in counseling, we would call that a risk manager. A, a risk manager. And it goes like this. In order 
to do this or to make sure that that doesn't happen to me in order to manage all the risk I have to do or act like this. And for me, there's a, there's a risk manager like running in the background of my mind for my whole life and it goes like this. I have to control everything because if I don't, something bad will happen and then I'll get hurt. Does that feel familiar to anybody? And usually, usually that risk manager is usually anchored in something that happened back earlier in your life and it comes online, you don't even know about it. It starts to run your life subconsciously. You don't even think about it. It's just the way you live your life. And that's my story. I'm just gonna touch on it. It's, it's hard. So something bad happened to me when I was a little kid. Right, when I was young and it wasn't my fault. And I couldn't change it and I couldn't make it stop. And, and that's all I'll say about that. But, but I've been, I, I, I've, I believe in Jesus and I have worked through so much guilt and shame and insecurity that are tied to that and I believe that God has forgiven me for all the bad choices that I have made since that time that I can point back and blame. That's, it's that, that fault, right? And I have gone and I'm still doing work to forgive the people that hurt me, still doing work. I'm not there every day, right? And still I am left with this, this risk manager in the back of my head that goes like this, all day, all the time. I have to control everything because if I don't, something bad will happen and I'll get hurt. And so I've lived my life trying to control everything. And guess what? I got hurt anyway. And I hurt a lot of other people in the process because I feel anytime that, that control is slipping through my fingers, my first response is panic and I need to control everything. And my, 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 my risk manager goes on steroids and, and my, my grip gets even tighter and the whole thing spirals out of control and the wheels fall off. And then they put you on sabbatical. I, 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 I mentioned this a couple weeks ago too. I feel like I've, la I've lived the last three years getting out of bed every day in a panic, just convinced that something bad is about to happen and it's gonna be all be my fault and I'm gonna get hurt unless I can figure it out and take control of the situation and fix what everybody in my life is dependent upon me to fix. So what that looked like for me and how, and how that, if so, then what, led to a sense of panic, um, I, I'm, I'm gonna share it with you, okay? Now, before I get into that, here's, here, I'm gonna go through my list, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to Christians, okay? And you know who you are. Here, here's what I mean by that, because you're really bad at this, all right? Here's what I ask is, so when you see me later in the lobby or at the grocery store or at a ball game or something like that, please don't come up to me and say, you shouldn't have felt like that. Can I I'll just be honest with you? That's the stupidest, dumbest advice you could ever give somebody. Right, so don't do it, Christians, right? I know, I, I know, looking back now, I know I shouldn't have felt like that, but guess what, I did anyway. Because it came from a really broken place in my life, and, and now I see I was wrong, but, but, but that's how I felt, okay? So how about this, um, could you just um, shut up and listen? Wouldn't the world be a better place if more people would just shut up and listen? Can I get an amen? All right, so how about this? Right or wrong, it's how I felt. Cool? All right, second, second thing. I'm gonna say. Right, um, uh, my, my list is my list. But you know what? I bet you have a, a list. I bet you have a pile of stuff uh, that's deep and wide and, and, and heavy. And here's what I have a feeling, all right? I don't know where you're listening in the world to my voice right now, but how about this? What I've said so far, your chest is getting tight. Right, you're having a panic attack right now. What do I need to do to control this thing going on in my life before I get hurt and I lose everything? So I'm gonna go through my list, but I don't want you to think about my list. I want you to use my list to point to yours. Is that fair? Okay, so here's, here's the list. Here's, here's what led to sabbatical. 
I've been the lead pastor of Flatirons Community Church. Uh, next month, it'll be 14 years, okay? For the first, for the first 10 years, uh, so I moved here in 2006, for the first 10 years, Flatirons grew like nuts, all right? Flatirons grew every year like 15 to 20 plus more percent every year. That's unheard of, okay? My, my church I grew up in, the only reason we would grow is somebody had a baby. <laughs> oh, we're growing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then everybody in my church was old, so it didn't happen a lot, but... Um, but when I moved here in 2006, we were, we were at the, here in Lafayette um, in, in, a, in a little feed store, in a little strip mall, and nobody knew who we are. And in 10 years, we became the 11th largest church in the country. And then three years ago, three and a half years ago, we stopped growing, and it messed me up. So, well, it shouldn't have. Shut up. Just let me talk, all right? So I've been reading another book. I'm so wise. Um, it was assigned by my counselor, so it was mandatory reading. Uh, my counselor, <laughs> I'm being honest. All right, so here's the here's cheerful name of this book, The Dark Side of Leadership. Ooh, rush out and get that one, all right? Um, which, here's the dark side of leadership for me, all right? It goes like this. When a, when a, when a person uh, leads an organization that grows from 15, 20, 22% a year, and then it stops, you look in the mirror and you ask yourself a question and you assume everybody in your life is asking the same question about you. Ready? What's wrong with you? Now take out my list and fill in yours. Anybody felt like everybody's looking at you going, figure this out? Why can't you do what you used to do? We hitched our wagon to the 22% guy and now you're letting us down. Hey, Pastor Jim, get your crap together now. Everybody's dependent upon you. Now, now let me tell you something about church world because it's weird, okay? When, when everything in a church is going great, you know who gets all the credit and the glory? God, praise the Lord, all right? But when things are not going great, you know who gets all the blame? Not God, this guy. Well, that's not true. Again, be quiet, all right? It's, it's, how, I, it's, it's how I feel. And all that, all that feeds the dark side and, and those tapes playing in my head. What's wrong with you? You're failing, you're gonna, you're gonna get hurt. Do something, take control. At the same, so that goes on the pile, okay? Church is just kind of just on hold. I don't, I don't know, all right? At the same time, my body is falling apart. So five weeks ago, I had the third shoulder surgery in the last three and a half years, all right? And, and, and when you're 57, you look in the mirror and go, dude, you are falling apart. You, you, it just screams, you're breaking down, you're getting old, you can't keep up, you're, you're getting, getting weak. And so you just put that going, I, I, I don't know how long I can do that, you put that on a pile. Now, I'm, as a person who grew up poor, and I did, okay? Um, I'm a government cheese guy, anybody else? It's not bad cheese, really. You know, it's, it's really not bad. Um, it's free. And, uh, but uh, and I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. How do you know that? Because my town was a little town. It had tracks down the middle. And I was told, you're on the wrong side. And you need to stay there. I'm like, message received, all right? But as a person who grew up poor, the tendency is to measure your own value or the value that you perceive other people have of you by, by the amount of dollars they say that you're worth. It's not right. It's not true. It just is, right? So last year... Um, it was the first time in 35 years that I could remember I, I didn't get a raise. I walked in and I, I didn't get a raise and it spun me out. And you know what? I'm sure, I am sure that the elders, when they sat down and they explained everything to me, that it all made sense. But in my broken state of mind, all I heard was, because you're not really worth it anymore. Now, just put that on the pile. At the same time, leadership decided that Flatirons, we needed to have a succession plan to begin finding the person who would replace me if I, and if I heard this one more time, I was gonna, do it, all right, if I got hit by a bus. If I heard that one more time, I was gonna throw myself in front of a bus, all right? Or then they soften going, or you know, if you, if you retire, someday. But the clock's ticking. And let me just say this, all right? That makes sense. 
Any good organization needs to have a succession plan. I'm not arguing with that. But when you walk into a meeting and the first item on the agenda and the most important item on the agenda that feels like to be discussed is, where are we on Jim's successor? Well, where, what's the status right now of trying to replace Jim? You combine that with, you know, we're not growing anymore and I didn't get a raise and Jim's body's falling apart and his days are limited. It all added up in my head to, um, I'm failing. I'm letting everybody down. What do you mean everybody? I'm letting you all down. I'm letting uh, my leaders down. I'm letting my staff down. I'm letting my family down. I'm letting my God down. And here's the message. They, they don't have confidence in me anymore. They don't want me here anymore. And it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time until they go, there's the door. Thanks for your time. Now, let me just say this before you go beat up an elder or a staff person, right? None of it was true. None of it was true. <laughs> no, he's gonna go beat somebody up. Don't. Uh, um, it was in my head. And when your head is all messed up and you got tapes playing in your head, you believe wrong things. You, you feel that, right? I said this before. Um, when I get sad and scared, it doesn't come out as sad and scared because sad and scared, that sounds, it feels weak. So sad and scared comes out of me like anger, right? And so when I get scared or I get sad or whatever, that I will warrior up and I'll show people I am strong. Oh, this is gonna be hard for you to believe. Over the last several years, I've had several people on staff and, and, and at Flatirons come up to me and go, hey, you know, Pastor Jim, you're, you're, you're a pretty intimidating person. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not intimidating, you know? And, and they're like, okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my first response. He goes, no, I'm not. But inside, you know what? Deep down inside, I, mean, I wouldn't say this out loud. There's part of me that goes, yeah, I am. I'm freaking intimidated. Yeah, and you better be intimidated because I'm telling you, if you cross me, I will show you how intimidated I can be and, uh, and how strong I really am. I found out on sabbatical that some of the staff had a nickname for me. They never said it to my face. I heard about it later. My nickname became Buzzsaw. Yeah, it's not real flattering. Um, don't mess with Pastor Jim, but if you do, he'll cut you to pieces. Not my best moment. See, the way God has wired all of us up uh, two of our main responses when anything, uh, to anything that feels like it's a threat, are, and you probably have heard this before, are either fight or flight. This is how we respond. And it's like, oh, I'm in trouble. I did both. I withdrew from any and everyone who questioned me, criticized me, uh, or I felt had betrayed me or didn't support me, and I had a long list. I kept a list. But when I did show up at something and it, the smallest thing went wrong, fight was on, and I had to win at all costs because if I didn't win, then it confirmed everything I feared was actually true. So my risk manager was in overload. Control everything or you will get hurt. So a few, a few months ago when I showed up at that elders meeting, I gave that dark tunnel speech to my elders. It was a moment where I looked around my life and said, my life is out of control. I control nothing, which is why I don't have any joy anymore. And I thought I would just tap out because I hate not having control. What do you mean? My, my job, my career, my ministry um, was in somebody else's control. I didn't get a vote if I come back or not. My finances and my retirement, moving into the future, I didn't know what was gonna happen to it. It was somebody else was in control of that. My daily schedule was in somebody else's control. I was in mandatory counseling, part of which, at least at the first part of sabbatical was, I wasn't allowed to attend or even watch online the church that I had led for 13 years. Now listen, I agree with that now, but in the moment, I wanna fight. It's like, are you kidding me? I wasn't even allowed to post pictures of me and my grandkids on Instagram because it might make somebody mad. Do you, know how, do you know how humiliating it is for a 57-year-old man to ask some other people permission to put a picture of his grandkid on Facebook? My life's out of control. 
I had, I had nothing, all right? Decisions were being made about flatterance. I wasn't allowed to speak into them. Uh, decisions were being made that affected the people I loved, and I was excluded from the conversation. One day, I was really, I was praying, and, and I really felt convicted. I need to reach out to this person in my life that we, we had a damaged relationship, and so I reached out. Do you, wanna, do you wanna have lunch? And the answer came back, absolutely. Then later, I found out I have a list of things I wanna get off my chest, and it was just, the, it was a horrible meal. It was a long list of more stuff I'd screwed up. I'm like, I'm, I'm about done. So all this adds up to what I said in that, in that elders meeting that day, is I feel like my life is a long, dark tunnel. I look down, it's just more darkness and more tunnel, and every time you get your, a light, don't get your hopes up. It's just one more thing of something you've done wrong. And I left that meeting. This is where I left off on Christmas, if you were here, right? I, went, I, I, I got in my truck and I drove up to my cabin and I sat on the couch and I FaceTimed my friend James Henderson down in Mexico. And, and I was telling him and pouring out, you know, I'm dark, I'm dark, I'm not doing well. And so he asked me those three questions, all right? So what's God like? He's good. What, what does he think about you? He loves me. And what's God want for you? He wants good for me, blah, 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 all right? So, and then, um, and then he asked me that, that, that fourth question. He said, Jim, is it possible that God wants you out of that dark tunnel right now? Or is there something in that tunnel that he wants you to learn first? And I was like, ah, I hate that question. So I said, I'd pray about it, which means no. Uh, but I did pray about it, I thought about it a lot. So again, over sabbatical, I've had a lot of time on my hands to do some reading, and one of the books I've been reading is the Bible. It's pretty good. Uh, Specifically, I've been reading the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's this one story in there, and I don't know how many times I've read this story as I've read through there, um, but right after, um, right after that long, dark tunnel meeting with, uh, with the elders, and then after James says, is there something God wants to teach you in that darkness right now? I, I started reading through it again, and this one story jumped off of the page. And I wanna read it to you. It's out of the book of Matthew, but don't, don't, don't look it up right now. You can write it down here in a minute. Um, so Jesus has got a group of people in front of him and he's, he's using a teaching tool called a parable where he takes something about God, which is unfamiliar, and he compares it to something that they already know about, like sheep or uh, fishing, or in this case, a vineyard, uh, like, uh, like grapes or a farm, all right? He says they're kind of the same. So I'm really not talking about a farm, I'm talking about something else. And so Jesus teaches this. Now, I'm gonna read the whole thing because I want you to get kind of the overall vibe of it now, if you go in there going, I don't understand that verse at all, just let it go. Don't come up to me later and go, uh, what about the Hebrew word for it? Take a breath, all right? If you wanna debate theology with me later, you'll probably win. Just, just let this just, let this just kinda, I want you to look at the big picture of this, okay? This is Jesus teaching a, a group of people about the vineyard, but he's talking about something else. So this is Jesus talking, he says this. He says, listen to another parable. Here's another story. There was a landowner, a master, who planted a vineyard so a grape arbor, right? He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, some tenants, and then he moved to another place. So he left town. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants, the master sent his servants to the tenants, the farmer, to collect, what's the next word? His fruit. Who owned the vineyard? Master, he just rented it out, okay? It's still his, right? So, so he sends all these servants to go, go get my, my, my harvest, right? The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then the master sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, the master sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, all right? 
time out, right? Now Jesus looks at the crowd and he's gonna ask a question. Don't read ahead, all right? But see how you would answer it. Here's the question Jesus asked. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Buzzsaw, that's what, I, that's what I've said, right? right? Uh, what would you do, right? Yeah, and somebody in the crowd actually answers the question before Jesus can finish the story. Here's, all right, he, the master, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. That's what I would do, right? Jesus said to them, have you never read the Bible? Have you never read the scriptures? And he's gonna talk about himself here, and this is a little confusing, but just let it go, right? The stone the builders rejected, meaning Jesus, right, has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And then this is the verse right here. Look at this, right? Therefore, if all that's true, I tell you that the kingdom of God, I'm not talking about grapes, vineyards, I'm talking about this. The kingdom of God, will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruits. And I'm sitting on my porch and I've stopped breathing. And I am not one of those guys. I'm not that pastor who goes, and I heard a voice from heaven. That's scary. I don't really want that to ever happen. That's a lot of accountability. Uh, so, uh, um, I never, I, I, God's never spoken to me. I mean, I, I, I'm just not that guy. But in that moment, and I'll be honest, I'm not even sure if this is what Jesus was trying to teach those people 2,000 years ago when he told that vineyard story. But in that moment on my porch, I knew exactly what Jesus wanted to teach me. It was like this, God owns the vineyard and Flatirons is his vineyard. And I'm just the farmer, I'm just the tenant and I've been placed in charge of the vineyard but this is not my vineyard. It's the master's and I have, I have not been taking care of it the way the owner would have wanted me to take care of it. But, but instead of coming back and throwing me away to a wretched end and giving his vineyard to somebody who take better care of it, he's given me another chance. And. Now, we're gonna get to your story. Just hold on, all right? Um, here's, all right? Here's the why, the truth that's driving these big changes in my life. The aha moment goes like this. Flatirons is not my church. This is God's church, and God is in control, and I'm not. God never told me to control anything. Sidebar, I can't anyway. God simply told me to show up every day and be faithful and obedient to what I know to do with what he's entrusted to me, and the rest is his job. And when I'm sitting on my porch and that light bulb comes on in, like in my mind, it's like a thousand pounds comes off my shoulders. And I'm sitting there going, I don't have to fix anybody. I don't even know how. I don't have to change you. I don't have to save anybody, all right? I, I, I can't change the past, wouldn't that be great? And I can't even ensure the future. I can't and I don't have to control anything. All I can do and all I've been commanded to do by God is show up every day and be faithful and obedient to what he's told me to do with those he's placed in my care, and that's you all. And the rest is his job. So what's that look like? What does faithful and obedient look like for me to lead this church again? And so I, 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 this is how I read scripture, and you might disagree with me on that, and that's, that's fine, but here's how I see my job as your pastor. My job as a pastor of this church is to stand before you, the church, and the, the, actually, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And my job is to stand up here and go, this is what the groom looks like. His name is Jesus and he is good. And he loves you and he wants good for you. And this is how he treated people and this is what he said is true and this is what he promised. My job is to represent the groom, Jesus, to you. And, and there's a guy in the Bible, he, he wrote a, a big chunk of the last part of the Bible, his name's Paul, and he wrote a letter to some people in, in a little town called Ephesus, and, and part of it is addressed specifically to husbands. It says, husbands, you need to love your wives like the groom Jesus loves the church. 
It's like, can you explain that? Yeah, this is what Jesus does for us all the time, all right? He washes us in the word so that we can stand before God one day, pure and spotless. And that's my job. My job, my mission, my commission is to represent Jesus to you, his church, and, and what he said was true. And I have not done, I have not done a good job of that, but instead of throwing me out, he just put me in timeout because he's not done with me. See, God is in control and it's his church. So how, how does a person go from risk managing control freak to a person of peace? But you gotta go back to the beginning of this talk. The if so, then what? If God really is in control and I'm really not, that means I don't have to run the universe anymore and it'll be fine. And if that's true, then maybe I could finally have peace. I haven't had peace in a long time. And no matter what happens, I can actually look in the mirror and go, it is well with my soul. So what's yours? What's your story? Take out Pastor Jim and put your name in there and take out church and put in whatever it is that God has given you to take care of. Take care of, not control. See, there's a lot of us in this room that we either have been, are right now, or someday will be married. We'll have this person in our life, we'll go, that's my husband or that's my wife. You know what, we are trying to control them and we are, we are pushing them out the door. We were never told to control our spouse. We can't anyway. You know what? We were told to show up and be faithful and obedient. I've been married for 35 years. My wife is bipolar. She has migraines. She has a lot of illnesses. For the first two-thirds of our marriage, I tried to fix her. I tried to, my my intentions were good. I tried to control everything. It just made it worse. God never told me to control my wife. He told me to show up every day and love her, be faithful and obedient, just sit sit with her and be with her. And you know what? That got better when I didn't have to fix anything. Don't, Don't try to, don't try to fix anybody. Some of us say it's a really, really bad world out there and we have these children. We go, I got to control my children. Let me just tell you, you cannot control your children. The more you try, the more they will run away. What, what do you do? It's a bad world out there. You can't even control the world. You show up every day, mom and dad, and, you, and you're faithful and obedient with what God has told you to do. Some of you have a career today. You won't tomorrow. Some of you have money right now. Tomorrow you might not. What are you supposed to do about it? Just show up every day and be faithful and obedient with what God has told you to do. Some of us are going, well, I'm in a panic about my, my body or I'm aging. My dad died of cancer. My grandpa out of cancer, so I'm doing everything uh, to, to make sure that I, I'm okay. Let me just tell you, most of the universe is out of your control. I'll just throw this in for free. I think fiber's a hoax. <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, you poop regularly, that's about all. Um, and here's why I say that, and I'm, I'm all for healthy eating, so don't email me. Uh, um, we've all been to the doctor, or we know somebody in our life that's no longer here that went to the doctor, and they said, there's no explanation just these cells in your body decided to just take off. But I didn't smoke, and I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I know, I know. It's just out of control. Most of the universe is out of control. You know what, the only thing, I've read the Bible several times, the only thing I can find that we are commanded to control is our mouth, and our passions, and our self, and that takes the fruit of the Spirit. We can only do that with God's help, so. So you got something in your life and God said, take care of it. What's driving your risk manager? I have to control this because if I don't, what are you afraid will happen? And how's that working for you? And if it's not, what is it that God may be telling you, hey, I want you to do something different because this is gonna be, this is gonna sound like a downer. God could find a better version of you. He could find a better pastor. He wouldn't break a sweat. He could find a better husband for your wife. He could find a better mom for your kids. He could do that really easy, but here's the kind of God we have. He comes back and goes, I am not through with you, and I still trust you with my vineyard. So come here, and let's just keep on going. That's what I want to talk about next week. If that's true, maybe you can have hope. It's all about hope. 
So here's how I'm going to end this, okay? So, um, uh, <laughs> and I'm on time. Uh, um, so when, when I got back from sabbatical, I met with all my worship leaders and stuff, and I said, okay, I'm going to try to get out of the minutia. I'm, I am a bit of a control freak. I like to pick the songs. I like to make sure the lights are aimed a certain way and all that kind of stuff, and it's just wearing everybody out. So when I get back, I'm not going to do that anymore, except, and now we're like, oh, all right, and uh, um, I'm not going to look at them right now either. Um, I said, when I first come back, um, so let me explain this. Have you ever gone through a really, really, really hard time and you're just driving along the road in your car, your truck, whatever that is, and a song comes on the radio and you go, that's it, that's how I feel, right? It's like, that's what I wanted to say to you, God, whatever that is, and it kind of becomes the soundtrack of your life. You may understand what I'm talking about, right? So I have some of those, okay? So I'll tell you about how this one came, came about. And this takes me back to really the first few days of sabbatical. It's a little tender. So um, I got, went, put on a sabbatical on Tuesday, and then Thursday I was on an airplane down to Mexico City, and I'm sitting on the plane, and my daughter-in-law, Leah, uh, sends me a text that says, hey, Jim, we're praying for you. Hey, I was listening to this song, and that always makes me just freak out, going, oh, more bad music. Uh, <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, I was listening to this song this morning. It meant something to me, and I'm sending it to you. You don't have to listen to it if you don't want and so I, I texted her back and went, Lee, I, I will listen to it. I can't listen to it on the plane. Security will throw me off. I'm a mess. There's a crazy man in aisle five. Uh, um, so I got to Mexico City and I get in the hotel and we get all packed and I open my phone and I look at the, the title, uh, Still in Control. I went, nope, I'm not ready for that song, all right? And so we went to dinner, we came back and I opened the phone again and I said, Still in Control. I went, babe, she says, it's up to you. And I, so I hit play and I got through two lines. I went, nope. It's too much. It took me two and a half days to listen to the song because it just nailed everything. So a few weeks ago, um, uh, a guy that I met, Honey, we were, we were just talking. He's from California. His name's Lee. And, and I said, hey, when I get back, I'm going to kind of tell my story. And there's some certain songs. One of these songs is called Still in Control. I probably listened to it a thousand times over the last six months. It's by a guy named, he goes, Mac Brock. I went, yeah. He goes, I know Mac. I had coffee with him yesterday. Huh? He goes, do you want me to just call him and see if he'll come and sing that song? Huh? Yes. And so Max here today, uh, Max Brock's here today, and thank you. Um, um, yeah, so when we started texting back and forth, I said, hey, Max, there's a song that kept me alive. Would you, would you come? And he was like, absolutely. Um, so uh, here's what we're going to do. So it's Mac, it's your song, but I'm taking it. It's not mine. Thank you. Uh, it's not my song, but I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to give it to you all. I think it's a, it's a gift from God, right? And you can download it later or something like that, um, but it, it kept me alive. It, it's, 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 it's related to an old, old, old hymn that was written by a guy whose wife and children all got wiped out in a shipwreck. He says, when, all, when sea billows roll, still, eventually, I can say it as well with my soul. And so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this song over and over and over, and now I want to give it to you, and it can be your song. So sometime as we're singing this song together, then you can just stand and worship with us, and then I'm going to come up and pray, and then we're going we're gonna to go home, and then we come back for version two of this, all right? So uh, would you just welcome my friend, Mac Brock. Yeah.